Happy Wednesday and thank you for joining me today. Pop quiz. Who was the 28th president? If you said Woodrow Wilson or if you were thinking Woodrow Wilson, you win the non-existent prize. Yes, uh, Woodrow Wilson was the 28th president of the United States. In 1916, Woodrow Wilson actually got re-elected president of the United States. In that same year, uh, the United States was monitoring the situation on the East Coast of the world because World War I was still transpiring. And so we decided that we would not get involved in the war, but we would support our allies. But then Germany continued to sink many of our merchant ships located around Great Britain. And so on April 6th, excuse me, on April 2nd, 1917, President Woodrow Wilson asked Congress, he literally, he went to Congress, he went to the Capitol building and he asked Congress to declare war on Germany. So four days later, Congress voted and on April 6, 1917, the United States officially entered World War I. The following year, uh, in March, soldiers at Camp Funston in Fort Riley, Kansas, began feeling a little sick. They reported flu-like symptoms, including coughs, respiratory distress, the chills, and high fever. And, and th there was this concern at this particular military base for this spontaneous outbreak in the United States, but nothing really serious until it got bad. A month later, more than 1,000 men at Camp Funston contracted this disease and 46 of them died. And that was the beginning of this pandemic that would take off like a rocket ship in the United States. President Woodrow Wilson essentially decided to downplay the whole thing, even though he himself contracted it. VOA News writes, quote, Wilson had 103 or about a 104 degree fever, violent coughs, and other symptoms that were unique to the 1918 virus. As states and cities began to order what we now know today as social distancing, closing public schools, banning public gatherings, uh, also in closing businesses, Wilson's administration, excuse me, not banning public schools, quote, closing businesses and schools, banning public gatherings, Wilson's administration continued to downplay the pandemic. Spain, a neutral party, party in the war, was the only country that reported casualty numbers accurately, hence the name the Spanish flu, even though the flu did not originate there, end quote. So the Spanish flu did not originate in Spain, Although it is somehow inexplicably called the Spanish flu. So it's 1918. We're in the middle of World War I. And President Woodrow Wilson decides to downplay this pandemic. President Woodrow Wilson and some members in the White House reportedly contract, the, contract this disease and still downplay the risk. I mean, this was an indication of Wilson's intense concentration on the war. And that's all he really cared about. I mean, when people began to die in the United States at alarming rates and the death toll was continuing to rise exponentially, the Wilson administration stayed silent. The Wilson administration decided not to do anything. The Wilson administration decided to focus on the war because that was really important. The president never publicly uttered a word about the pandemic because he feared that if if the United States admitted that we had some sort of pandemic in the United States or some sort of other internal crisis while still fighting this war, then we would look weak. And so the federal leadership was not that great, nor was the state and local leadership. Some states downplayed the risk of the pandemic, as well as some local officials, including mayors. Uh, 
and local health officials. Therefore, it inevitably caused more deaths and more cases. I mean, now, I, I have told this story before, but this is really important for historical context as we're at this moment in American history right now. At the end of the pandemic, 675,000 Americans were dead because of the president's feckless, incompetent, and essentially reckless leadership. I mean, that many people died because he didn't act. And it's not that he didn't act fast. It's that he didn't act at all. Thenceforth, causing one of the deadliest pandemics in American history. And we have since learned that failed leadership on a crisis of this magnitude does not help, nor does it work. I mean, if anything, failed leadership on a crisis like this, a crisis of this magnitude, it exacerbates the situation to the point where it's uncontrollable. I mean, 675,000 Americans ultimately dying at the end of the pandemic in 1918 was unsettling. It was disturbing. It was alarming. But it's all because President Woodrow Wilson decided to downplay the pandemic and never publicly address it. Over the course of the Trump administration, we have seen this sort of recurring theme. If you speak up and tell the truth, you get fired as a sign of retaliation for what you did. Truth is something that this administration essentially does not tolerate because they fear if they tell the truth, if they admit to their crimes, they could potentially criminally expose themselves or they could potentially be criminally exposed. So they pivot from telling the truth and they demand that other officials working in the administration do it as well. Other administration officials pivot from telling the truth as well. Rick Bright uh, was the director of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, otherwise known as BARDA. In April, uh, he was suddenly reassigned to a lower position at NIH, which is the National Institute of Health. After sounding the alarm over the Trump administration's failed leadership and incoherent response to the coronavirus pandemic, um, he said he was fired. Back in May, Rick Bright, testi Rick Bright testified to, to Congress, and he said something that seems very unsettling, especially where we are now as a nation with the coronavirus pandemic and what this could possibly mean. Just listen to what he said. Today, the world is confronting a public health emergency unlike any we've seen in over a century. We are facing a highly transmissible and deadly virus, which not only claims lives, but also disrupts the very foundations of our society. Our window of opportunity is closing. If we fail to improve our response now, based on science, I fear the pandemic will get worse and be prolonged. There will be likely a resurgence of COVID-19 this fall. It'll be greatly compounded by the challenges of seasonal influenza. Without better planning, 2020 could be the darkest winter in modern history. First and foremost, we need to be truthful with the American people. Americans deserve the truth. The truth must be based on science. We have the world's greatest scientist. Let us lead. Let us speak without fear of retribution. The virus is here. It's everywhere. We need to be able to find it, isolate it, and stop it. We need to have the right testing for everyone who needs it. We need to be able to trace contacts, isolate, quarantine, and appropriately 
while striving to develop a cure. Initially, our nation was not as prepared as we should have been, as we could have been. Some scientists raised early warning signals that were overlooked, and pages from our pandemic playbook were ignored by some in leadership. There will be plenty of time to look back to assess what has happened so we can improve. But right now, we need to focus on getting things right going forward. We will either be remembered for what we did or for what we failed to do to address this crisis. I call on all of us to act, to ensure the health, safety, and prosperity of all Americans. You can count on me to do my part. Thank you. Quote, Without better planning, 2020 could be the darkest winter in modern history. End quote. Of course, from 1918, we know that there was a second wave and there was a third wave. And those were very catastrophic. Those were as lethal as the first wave, but they came back like a roaring lion coming for its cub. I mean, it was just a, a catastrophe. So that was on May 14th. Nine days after Rick Bright testified to Congress and stated the dark truth about the coronavirus pandemic, what the American people needed to hear. Nine days after Rick Bright testified to Congress, the United States reached 100,000 deaths. A grim, solemn milestone that's still today unforgettable. And, you know, even looking back on that now is gut-wrenching and very disturbing because there could have been a national response to this crisis, a national, coherent, competent response to this crisis, but there was not. As you heard Dr. Rick Bright, excuse me, as you heard former director Rick Bright there, essentially trying to lay it out of what we could have done, what we can still do. Um, in, in April, there were reports from the Washington Post that the President of the United States was briefed when he was sworn in to the office of the president of the United States in, in 2017, when he was sworn in to become president of the United States, he was briefed on a potential possible pandemic. And the president essentially ignored that information. In April of this year, uh, the president was reluctant to send aid to Democratic-controlled states, telling governors to adulate him and treat him nicely. The Trump administration decided not to implement a national testing plan uh, because it believed that mostly Democrats were dying from the coronavirus. So why bother? Um, Anna North, she is a reporter. She is a senior reporter at Vox.com. Just for clarification, I have to do this again. Vox.com, not anything associated with Fox News. Uh, she is a reporter for Vox.com. And she's going to be joining me in just a moment uh, to talk about her most recent piece uh, that she broke exclusively last Wednesday. Uh, excuse me, last, yeah, I believe it's last Wednesday. Um, last Wednesday, I told you that she wrote a piece titled, quote, Elizabeth Warren calls for investigation into Trump's politicization of the coronavirus, end quote. Her reporting is perspicacious and very useful in terms of what Senator Warren and her colleagues are doing here. Um, she writes in her reporting, quote, By early April, such a plan had been developed by a team led by Kushner, uh, which was Donald Trump's son-in-law. Quote, Vanity Fair reported in July. But one expert told the magazine a member of the team expressed the view that because the virus was hitting Blue states, hardest, a nationwide strategy didn't make sense politically, 
end quote. So while people were dying in Democratic-controlled states and doctors were literally making video diaries of their traumatic experiences from working in the hospitals and doctors crying in those video diaries and some of them just showing their emotions and being overwhelmed by the amount of patients being admitted every single day to the emergency room and also asking and requesting for adequate PPE, the Trump administration essentially shrugged their shoulders and said, it doesn't make sense for us politically. Why help Democratic-controlled states? That's not our base. Those aren't our voters. The senators write in their letter, in their letter, quote, the federal government has repeatedly abdicated its responsibility to manage and improve the country's testing infrastructure, deepening our national emergency and costing lives, end quote. Nevertheless, the president has rewarded uh, his loyal Republican governors with aid and money. I mean, the coronavirus isn't a political virus. It doesn't just affect members of one political party. I mean, all over the nation, we have seen Democrats and Republicans die from this virus, including some Trump reporters who just hours before they have died, we have heard remarkable stories of them saying, I, I wish I I wish I would have done those things to protect myself from contracting this virus. I mean, at the DNC, you will recall last month, this one daughter saying that her father listened to Donald Trump. Her only pre-existing condition was listening, excuse me, his only pre-existing condition was listening to Donald Trump was listening to what the President of the United States was saying there about the coronavirus, spreading that apocryphal information. And here we are again. I mean, in July, the President pressured the CDC on changing its guidelines for political benefit. He wanted the CDT to make it look like schools were safe to reopen. Because if schools can reopen, that means... Parents can go back to work and then the economy will look fantastic. Something to brag about for re-election. On the matter of reopening schools currently, it, it appears that it's not working. I mean, last Saturday, multiple news organizations, including BuzzFeed News, reported that more than 1,200 students at the University of Alabama have tested positive for the coronavirus. The president of the University of Alabama said in a statement to BuzzFeed News, excuse me, said in a public statement, quote, The rise we've seen in recent days is unacceptable, and if unchecked, it threatens our ability to complete the rest of the semester on campus, end quote. BuzzFeed News further reports, quote, classes classes began on August 19th, and university officials said the positive rate for student re-entry testing was around 1%, but by August 21st, after hundreds of new After hundreds of new cases were reported, the university issued a 14-day ban on social gatherings, including off-campus parties and fraternity and sorority meetings. University of Alabama President Stuart Bell Bell, admonished the student body in a statement for not following university guidelines to prevent the spread of the virus. End quote. So they go back to school on August 19th. Then by the time it's August 21st, what is that, 19, 18, 20, 21? Four days into the new school year, four days coming back to school, hundreds of new cases are reported at the University of Alabama. And this is not the only one. 
Uh, I'm going to get to that in a second, but let me continue here. Uh, we do know that Alabama has more than 128,000 coronavirus cases and more than 2,000 deaths. Uh, yesterday, Michigan... Yesterday, Michigan reported 718 new coronavirus cases and 15 deaths. Also on Monday, August 31st, uh, eight Michigan schools reported new coronavirus outbreaks. But there's a twist. Quote, state won't name them. End quote. That's according to reporting from BridgeMichigan.com. In mid-August on this show, I covered the astonishing news from the uh, excellent reporters over at MichiganLive.com. Uh, that reporting indicated that 14 Michigan schools reported new coronavirus outbreaks. Another Michigan school called Central Michigan University began schools, and then two weeks in, this happened. Very interesting. Quote, this is not likely the beginning. This is not, this is likely not the beginning of the school year. Central Michigan University President Robert Davies anticipated while playing cornhole at a student house party in mid-August, days before class started. After two weeks of classes, you ready for this? Quote, there are 178 confirmed and probable coronavirus cases linked to the returned students to the Mount Pleasant campus, many tied to off-campus parties that opening weekend. End quote. So that was reporting from BridgeMichigan.com as well. And that is just remarkable. I mean, two weeks in and more than 170 confirmed cases of the coronavirus at this school. Yesterday, uh, more than 30 news and government transparency organizations delivered a letter to the governor of Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. In that letter, they are urging Governor Whitmer to address the situation in Michigan and release the details of these COVID-19 related outbreaks at schools. So that students, as students and teachers begin the new year, so they can take a look at this information as far as what's going to happen. I mean, we are now getting students in schools all over the nation are getting ready to head back or either do virtual learning. And this is something to be looked at. This is something to really be considered here as it's as is taken very seriously, as we have seen students in the past and still currently right now testing positive for the coronavirus at these schools. Uh, we will continue to keep you updated on that situation as more information is reported. When the coronavirus began to uh, become more prevalent here in the United States, the president called it, quote, a democratic hoax, end quote. I still remember that day. Um, then the president blamed and excoriated Democratic governors. That was followed by tweet storms, multiple tweet storms by the president and fury and outrage, thus beginning the downplaying of the pandemic. To inform us about the pandemic, the CDC held its first public briefing back in February. And from that point on, it was the not so informational White House task force briefing. The CDC is one of the CDC is actually the world's is actually the CDC is the is the world's top premier public health agency. And it's here in the United States as well. I mean, the CDC is what doctors look to. The CDC is what epidemiologists look to to get some information to know what to do. I mean, we were looking for the CDC at the beginning of this pandemic for what to do, what not to do. 
not to touch your face, always to wash your hands, to socially distance. I mean, these things were kind of new to us, but we learned it from the Centers for Disease Control. Why did we learn that? Because they put that guidance out there. And so we learned it. I mean, the CDC has always been this, this essential part of, of, of the science community, of the scientific community, especially when handling outbreaks. I mean, in 1918, there was no CDC, but the CDC was eventually created in the 1940s. And we have always looked to the CDC for guidance on things like this, on a pandemic like this. But with the CDC's data being manipulated by the White House and the Trump administration, excuse me, essentially the same thing, this, with the CDC's data being manipulated by the Trump administration, that creates a problem for us, the American people, in order to get the information that we need, in order to get the coherent and concise information that we need in order to function and in order to move on in our daily lives and in order what to do and what not to do, where to go and where not to go. I mean, this is information that we need. But that has been blocked for political benefit, for political conveniency. We are in the middle of an election year, 62 days to go. During the White House Coronavirus Task Force briefings um, at the White House, the president at that podium, the president made lots of false assertions about the coronavirus. And he also encouraged others to sort of participate in those false assertions, to participate, to actually do what those false assertions were essentially implying. I mean, for instance, the president encourage people to inject disinfectants into themselves, like Lysol. Additionally, he hyped this unproved and potentially dangerous drug for the coronavirus called hydroxychloroquine. The president said that it was all right to take that drug and that he himself took it, and it was absolutely fine. I mean, ostensibly, this is among one of the things that Senator Warren and her colleagues are attempting to investigate here. Uh, this is actually one of the things that is mentioned in the letter. They say that in March, initially, the FDA, uh, which is the Food and Drug Administration, issued an um, emergency use authorization for the drug, but revoked it in June after reports that the drug was associated with serious heart problems. And that reporting is confirmed. After that, uh, the administration criticized the FDA for that statement, and that was around the time when Rick Bright filed a whistleblower compl complaint. He alleged that he was pressed to, quote, direct resources toward this unproven and ineffective treatment, end quote. So regardless of this, if this if this, if this hydroxychloroquine was ready or not, regardless if this was, excuse me, not ready, regardless if this was useful or not, or, or good for treating the coronavirus or an effective treatment, regardless if it was or not, I don't care, approve it. The senators also write in that letter, quote, these events raise concerns about whether the Trump administration will respect the scientific process around the approval or authorization of COVID-19 vaccines, with President Trump already pushing for a vaccine to be ready by Election Day, end quote. There is a reason why we do not rush vaccines, especially for a deadly virus like this, potentially one of the most deadliest pandemics since 1918 which is more than a century ago. 
On May 4th, world leaders came together for a virtual vaccine summit. However, the United States was conspicuously absent. In 1976, um, when the swine flu was in the United States, President Gerald Ford rushed a vaccine, and guess what happened? People died. People died from that vaccine because the president rushed it. This was all because they rushed it. And I actually have more reporting on that on episode 311 of this podcast. Uh, I reported back in May on that story. On Monday this week, Politico reported that the White House privately warned states of coronavirus red zone threats. Quote, the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis released eight weeks of previously confidential reports obtained from the White House Coronavirus Task Force that Democrats said showed, excuse me, quote, obtained from the White House Coronavirus Task Force that Democrats said showed the administration's acting over the summer to willfully cover up public health risk for political gain, end quote. Uh, Of course, the question that comes to mind is why would the Trump administration do this secretly? Why would they do this indiscreetly? Why didn't they just make this public? Uh, Jim Clyburn, the chairman of the committee, uh, chairman of that committee said, quote, uh, rather than being straight with the American people, and creating a national plan to fix this problem, the president and his enablers kept these alarming reports private. End quote. Competence and coherence at this time would be great. But that is not the case. There are persistent efforts right now to politicize the coronavirus pandemic, distract us, and deflect from the news covering this story and re- reporting on the truth. Because that is what we need right now. I mean, in 1918, 675,000 Americans died from that pandemic because of the president's failure to address it. President Trump has addressed this pandemic, but just has exacerbated the situation tremendously. And that failure to tell the truth and that failure to, to give us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear per se, but what we need to hear, that failure is right now is why we are on the path to more than 200,000 American lives lost. Here's one more thing from the senator's letter. Quote, Americans are seeking trustworthy, objective information and leadership to help them navigate this unprecedented crisis. But the administration's repeated prioritization of President Trump's political interests calls into question the integrity of every action of the federal government. It will be impossible to develop an effective federal response until this partisan interference is addressed and public trust can be restored. End quote. We are now number one in the nation for confirmed coronavirus cases. And more than 185,000 of our fellow Americans are now dead. The federal response to this pandemic has been a disaster and has been incompetent. And now we are reaping that. We are seeing that. One of the first attempts to potentially investigate this president, we are now seeing that by the United States Senate, Senator Elizabeth Warren and her colleagues now writing this letter to potentially investigate the president of the United States for his persistent politicization of this virus as people continue to die. And that is a remarkable thing. 
The reporter who broke that story joins me next. In this world where people are staying at home, many of life's moments are being put on hold. At Carvana, we understand that for some, getting a car just can't wait. That's why the new way to buy and sell a car is also the safer way. At Carvana, you can do it all 100% online from home with a touchless delivery and pickup process to keep you safe. And for even greater peace of mind, all Carvana cars come with a seven-day return policy. So if you need to keep moving, it's our goal to keep you safe. Check out Carvana, the safer way to buy a car. Anna North, uh, she is a senior reporter at Vox.com. She is the author of two books. Uh, She has previously written those books back in 2015. I must say, uh, just by reading the title, they are absolutely riveting. By the way, she has a new one coming out in 2021 called Outlawed. Last month on Wednesday, Anna North reported uh, on this exclusive story over at Vox.com, reportedly that Elizabeth Warren is Senator Elizabeth Warren is calling for an investigation into the Trump administration's, excuse me, into the pres- into President Trump's politicization of the coronavirus pandemic. On Monday, I get a chance to speak with Miss North. Uh, here's that conversation. Joining me now for the interview is Anna North. She's a senior reporter at Vox.com. Miss North, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to begin with uh, this first question. Why do you think there was an effort to politicize the pandemic from the beginning? You know, I think um, that there was certainly a slowness to respond to the pandemic um, by the U.S. government, by the Trump administration. Um, You know, some of that um, you could understand based on the fact this was so new. Um, We we didn't know necessarily what it would look like in the U.S. Um, We didn't have all the information. But even when more and more information began to become available and even when people were dying in the United States and dying in Washington and California and in New York, um, that slowness persisted. And so I think, um, you know, there's been an effort uh, to downplay perhaps the administration's role in that slowness, that response. Mm you know, and I think there's been an unwillingness on the part of the administration to do certain things that probably need to be done, um, perhaps out of the perception that those things would harm the economy or even harm the re-election chances of President Trump. Hmm. Uh, when I first saw your reporting, I remembered uh, this article that broke back on June 1st by Lawfare Dump. Lawfareblog.com uh, that said Congress should investigate the Trump administration's coronavirus response, and now that has happened. Um, what role do you think that this will play now that there is an attempt to uh, open a congressional investigation into the president's uh, politicization of the coronavirus? You know, it's a really good question. What uh, what role this will play? I think um, it's still really unclear. Um, you know how muscular um, any investigation will be. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, we know um, you know that Senator Warren has uh, and, and um, some of her colleagues have sent um, now two letters calling for uh, such an investigation. Mm. Um, we haven't yet heard um, whether um, the body that they called on to investigate, which was um, established under the CARES Act, we haven't heard yet mm-hmm. whether in fact that investigation will take place. So that's step one. 
Um, step two would be, is the investigation going to be, um, you know, in fact, nonpartisan? Um, is, is the Trump administration going to attempt to influence the investigation in any way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that uh, the Trump administration has already, um, you know, changed uh, some of the personnel um, who were part of the group that's supposed to do these investigations. Um, they're supposed to oversee, um, you know, sort of the uh, the spending of federal stimulus money under the CARES Act. Um, so I think overall there are a lot of questions about, mm-hmm. um, you know, how full any investigation is going to be. What I will say is that, um, you know, something that I thought was striking about the senator's letter um, from last week and one reason that I wanted to report on it um, is just that it sets forth into the record some um, some things that have been reported about the administration and some things that have been reported about this sort of ongoing politicization. One thing that we have seen regarding to your last point um, is not only the Trump administration trying, trying to politicize this virus, but also Republicans in Congress going along with this, as well as some Republican senators. Um, is Senator Elizabeth Warren and her and her colleagues, are they concerned that Congress looking into this, are they concerned that there will be a sense to sort of downplay it from Republican senators? You know, I think there's been a widespread concern about how um, about how Republican senators and Republicans in Congress generally, um, you know, how they are responding to this and whether they are comfortable holding the Trump administration to account. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there have been cases where the administration hasn't been on on the same page as Republicans in Congress, and there have been other cases where they are. So, um, you know, I think. I think generally so far there um, on a lot of the core issues, when we think of politicization, um, you know, I'm thinking about masks in particular. Um, we, we've seen some uh, leaders at the state and local level. So some members of Congress, some governors kind of start to break with the president over things like masks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen others really keep towing the line. So, uh, you know, I think in the coming months, as we sort of come up on the election, it's going to be a real question. Um, you know, is the president going to continue to dictate how the Republican and are other Republicans going to adjust accordingly? I'm sorry, uh, you got cut out there. Could you repeat that last part? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a question of um, whether Republicans in Congress and Republicans at the state level are going to continue kind of being unified with Trump on his coronavirus response, or whether some of them are going to start looking at polling around the country that suggests that a lot of Americans aren't crazy about how Trump is handling coronavirus. And, you know, we, we may see Republicans who are concerned about reelection start to look at those polls pretty closely as we get close to November. Yeah. Um, During this pandemic, especially back in April, we saw some reluctance from the president on sending ventilators and medical uh, aid uh, to Democratic-controlled states. And he cited that if they didn't sort of praise him for his response on the coronavirus and treat him uh, nicely, then no aid. Could that potentially be looked into if this is advanced? Yes, I mean, that is specifically something that uh, Senator Warren and her colleagues have asked um, to be investigated. Um, you know, they've asked um, for uh, 
for the investigation to look into just exactly what you're talking about, this sort of, um, you know, the president making comments like, well, if they're if they're nice to me, you know, mm-hmm. or um, he had this exchange with Governor Whitmer of Michigan where he said, um, you know, I tell I, I tell Mike Pence all the time, I tell him if they're not nice to you, don't call. You know, he said something mm-hmm. something to that effect, saying like, well, you know, if a governor doesn't kind of sounds like saying if a governor doesn't kind of curry favor with us, then we're not going to help them out with some yeah. life saving medical equipment and tests. Um, yes. And that's exactly the kind of thing that the senators would like to investigate. Uh, Our testing here in the United States for the coronavirus is not great. Uh, People have reportedly been not standing, but sitting in their cars for hours waiting to get a test. Uh, One guy took him a couple weeks to get his test. He finally had to call back in and they finally uh, provided him with his results. And that situation has exacerbated. Uh, There were very infuriating reports back in June that the Trump administration was cutting testing sites in various states, specifically where the coronavirus was the worst at the time. Um, And the president has joked repeatedly about testing less because the numbers keep surging. Uh, Based on your reporting, this appears to be something that they will, uh, this that potentially could be looked into if this is advanced. Um, What do they hope to find in terms of advancing this investigation? Um, yeah, well, I think when you when you talk about testing specifically, um, as you say, the president has made a number of comments, and sometimes he says they're jokes, and sometimes it's kind of not clear if they're jokes, saying mm-hmm. we should have less testing, and sometimes that has been coupled with, um, in fact, less testing in certain areas, and I, I'm sure that, um, that Democrats in Congress would be either eager to see how close those connections are. Um, we should also note that, that um, last week, the CDC actually changed some of the COVID test- testing criteria to um, suggest that people might not need a test under certain circumstances if they think they've been exposed to the virus. Um, A lot of epidemiologists were really confused about why this happened and why the CDC would suggest that you don't need a test under those circumstances when many doctors and experts would say you do. And a lot of people are asking is, you know, was that change? Did that come down from the top? I think there's some suggestion that it did. And so the question is, Mm -hmm. you know, is this another example of the president, in fact, wanting less testing? Uh, I actually remember uh, that last week and that very reporting, especially some governors and some state and local officials saying that they would not comply with that as it was just very confusing. Um, the CDC is reportedly, based on your reporting and based on the, the excerpts of the letter, it apparently is something that will be looked into. Um, if that happens, do you think the Trump administration will continue to pressure the CDC knowing that uh, there is a current congressional investigation? Uh, it's hard to say what the administration will do, but uh, they haven't necessarily known to change their behavior during previous investigations mm-hmm. of various aspects of the administration, of which there have been many. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to change their tactics overnight. Over the course of this pandemic, we have seen the president show sort of political favoritism to many Republican-controlled states and then uh, divulge his rationale for doing it. Uh, Based on the excerpts of this congressional letter, why do you think that will be looked into and what potential result could it have? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most concerning things that's highlighted uh, in this letter, it was a report from Vanity Fair um, looking at, uh, you know, a potential plan for coronavirus testing uh, infrastructure that was going to be rolled out. Mm -hmm. Um, And this report uh, suggested that, um, you know, that the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, had sort of worked with a team on on this plan that was supposed to be a real nationwide plan to kind of coordinate everything across all states. Mm -hmm. And that that team had actually pulled back once um, they they decided that the virus was primarily affecting blue 
States. So, I mean, mm-hmm. this report was really explosive when it came out. And, um, you know, I believe the administration has denied it, we should say. But um, it certainly suggested that, um, you know, from the very top levels of our government, there was an attitude that, frankly, if people in blue states were dying or getting sick, that they didn't have to care or they didn't have to respond. Hmm. And I, I do think that the more information we can get on that, the better it is for the American people and, you know, could also potentially be influential in the election. Um, you know, I think it's also worth noting that there, you know, that that calculation was reportedly made that the virus has really spread to almost every corner of the country affecting Democrats and Republicans. So mm-hmm. um, something that, you know, maybe could have been once perceived as a blue state problem is absolutely no longer a blue state problem. Um, you know, and so I think there's a way in which maybe this was politicized at the beginning, but I think most Americans now recognize it affects everyone. And mm-hmm. so any information that's found through any investigation or frankly, just any information that, you know, can be highlighted based on what we already know, I think that really impacts all Americans. The White House has continued to sort of say that they have done a great job with this pandemic and that the president's response has been excellent. Uh, We saw that at the RNC last week. Um, More than 183,000 Americans have died. Uh, Today, we reached 6 million coronavirus cases, and the leadership is not very competent. Is there hope that that this letter will be read and that an investigation will be opened? I think those are two different questions. I think, um, Certainly, there's hope that this letter will be read, um, you know, that it will be read by the American people, that it will be read by policymakers, um, mm-hmm. people at the state level, even in people in other countries who, um, you know, are watching what's happening in the U.S., frankly, with with dread and, and they're very disturbed. Um, so, yes, I think it can be read. Um Do I think that there will be a tough investigation that will lead to changes? That I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think anything we can do to highlight the ways that the administration has reacted to this pandemic and to find out more about them and just to make sure that people are aware of them so that they have all the information about what's happening, I think that has value, even if this is never investigated in an official way. Once again, my guest is Anna North. Uh, She is a senior reporter at Vox.com. Miss North, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. We'll be right back. At a time when we're asked to sacrifice, we step up to do our part. On the home front. On the front lines. To lend a helping hand and hold each other up. We are resilient. Vigilant. And we'll get through this because we're better together, even if we're a little farther apart. Because of the amount of news and so much that needs to be covered right now and so much that is sort of being overshadowed by these other simultaneous crises and either simultaneous uh, events that are taking place in our nation, We are witnessing right now an an ongoing situation in Louisiana right now, Um, Hurricane Laura. Um, I'm going to report on that for Saturday. I'm going to have a special report on that on Saturday, as well as Tropical Storm Nana, as well, I believe it's pronounced Nana, as well as um, this other tropical storm called Omar. We are continuing to monitor that situation as well. Uh, Go to our website. We have information on Hurricane Laura. 
Uh, but these are hard times right now. And please keep Louisiana in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, continue to share articles with your family and friends so we can keep this in the news, so we can keep this story alive. Um, the mayor of Lake Charles is is essentially begging and, and asking the American people not to forget about him. He says, quote, We absolutely need our American brothers and sisters to realize that a great American city had a major blow. I am begging, I am pleading for Americans not to forget about Lake Charles. End quote. Um, we, we reached out to Mayor Hunter's office for by phone. Um, we have not heard back yet, but we will keep you updated as this more information is reported and as this situation continues. Uh, but thank you for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Thank you once again to my guest, Ms. Anna North, a senior reporter at Vox.com. Um, you can go to our website, our anchor website, and you can make a financial contribution to the show. Um, you can also send in a voice message. Also, to stay up to date on voting and information about Hurricane Laura, uh, please visit our website, which will be linked in the description of this episode. Uh, this Saturday, we're going to have a special report on Hurricane Laura, Tropical Storm Nana, and Omar, as well as the updates uh, on, on the explosion in Beirut, Lebanon. But until then, thanks for listening. Uh, make sure to share this episode with your family and friends and have a great day.